Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 26th episode of 2022, so we are basically halfway through the year. But before I kick off, I'd like to thank our sponsors of Fiber for Breakfast, including our gold sponsors, CHR Solutions, Millennium, and Plume, and our silver sponsor, Graybar. You know, yesterday I was in Binghamton, New York, with my friend, Jen Gregory, the executive director of Southern 8 Regional Planning Development Board for the Upstate Rural Broadband Conference. Southern 8 has an ambitious eight-county multi-year initiative to connect every address to high-speed broadband. You know, spending time with Jen and the amazing folks in Binghamton yesterday was a great reminder on why what we do is so incredibly important for these communities and families. So hats off to Jen and her team, and I'm so excited for the tremendous positive impact for these eight counties in rural North um, New York and what they will experience. You know, yesterday in Comms Day, or excuse me, Comms Daily, there was a article citing that Starlink's download speeds are up 38% from the past year. You know, wow, that's a pretty, that sounds pretty good. However, when you read further, you find that Starlink's average upload speed has actually decreased year over year from 16 megabits to 9 megabits per second and the latency has increased nearly 10% over the same period. You know, considering how lightly loaded Starlink satellites are, I can't even begin to imagine how bad their service is gonna be if they had any volume of customers. So hopefully FCC is gonna to continue to hold the line and not approve Starlink's RDOF long form applications. And those 640,000 RDOF locations will now get fiber from the deed funding. You know, for today's fiber broadband set, session, we're going to be discussing one of my favorite topics, rural broadband, in a session titled, Changing the Fate of Rural Missouri with Fiber Broadband, an electric co-op with more broadband subscribers than electric members with Darren Farnan, General Manager of United Fiber. Last week at Fiber for Breakfast, we held a roundtable discussion on fiber connecting the dots, the post-show recap, with two of the industry's leading analysts, Julie Kunzler and Jamie Linderman from research firm Omnia. You know, I'm still feeling the energy and excitement from our conference in Nashville a few weeks ago, and it was great to hear Julie and Jamie's key takeaways from our event. But speaking of events, I want to also remind everyone that our next regional Fiber Connect workshop is at the Copper Mountain Resort in Colorado on August 23rd, and we'll be in Columbus, Ohio on November 3rd. Both workshops will sell out quickly, so please register today. Now back to Fire for Breakfast. In today's session, we're going to be discussing changing the fate of rural Missouri with fiber broadband, an electric co-op with more broadband subscribers than electric members with Darren Farnan, the general manager of United Fiber. You know, I always love hearing from leaders such as Darren on how they are transforming their communities with fiber, especially when they can do this in rural Missouri with super low subscriber densities, I think in the order of two point five meters per mile, so that's really impressive. Uh, Darren has worked for United Electric Co-op 
since 1994 and serves as the general manager of United Fiber. Darren has also served in the roles of chief development officer and energy services manager for United. Darren led the development and operations of United Fiber Network, which has grown to over 3,200 miles of fiber, 54 employees, and 25 million in annual revenue since turning up their first fiber customer in 2013. Currently, United Fiber is approaching 25,000 combined residential and commercial fiber customers. Darren received his BS in business management and MBA from Northwest um, Missouri State University. Darren serves as the chair of the UTC Utilities Broadband Committee from 2018 to 2021. So with all that, welcome Darren, and please type in your questions as we go and we'll get them into the Q&A. With that, I'd like to turn it over to Darren. All right, Gary, well, thank you for the introduction and, and great to be here with you all. And again, just wanted to echo your thoughts. We, that was a, a great session. I was glad to be in Nashville and, and what a great meeting that was and, and really good to make connections down there. So appreciate all the efforts uh, that you and the team uh, do to, to advance this cause. So I'm going to start off by, you know, kind of giving a little bit of a background. Um, we've been in this for a long time. We we're one of the early co-ops to really get into the to the fiber business. Um, I think today there's well over 200 of the of the nearly 900 co-ops throughout the country that are doing some form of fiber broadband. And uh, but but back when we started back in 2010 2011, it was it was kind of a unique thing. And and the first question I put here, you know, was is what we got a lot from both, um, you know, both locally and and nationally and it says is, why is an electric co-op in the fiber business what you know what do you all know about fiber and um you know really what where our where we started i'm going to kind of take these first two dot points to kind of describe it but we have been um you know we'd had subsidiary businesses since i started in 1994 which started off with direct tv territory that we owned we got into satellite uh, broadband because again because of uh, member surveys and things that indicated that that's what they needed and moved on into wireless services and kind of worked with a, an adjoining co-op on that type of a service as well. Um, but, you know, we knew we had a, um, a severe lack of service uh, served by a large incumbent telco in most of our rural markets. Um, as you mentioned, Gary, we're, we're about 7,500 members, 10,000 meters, and uh, again, about average about two and a half meters per mile. Now that's not homes per mile, that's meters per mile. So that can be a pump, a bin or a barn, or who knows, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So again, the thought of bringing fiber, um, fiber to all those folks uh, seemed like a bit of a potential pipe dream at the time, but, but we knew the limitations, we saw the limitations early on of satellite and wireless, even though we still use some wireless services today in temporary methods or to, you know, for, for different things. Again, because we have that fiber backhaul, that allows us to do some things with that, but it's by far the very small part of our business now. Um, when we did a survey of our membership back in 2010, in these areas we were looking to apply for funding, we found that almost 90%, 89% at that time, as you remember, you know, at that time it was four by one was the was the definition of broadband with the FCC, so I'm aging myself, but but uh, we, um, we, we did that survey and 89% said that they did not have access to that type of a service. So, you know, thinking of, of how that's progressed or where that might still be today uh, is, is kind of a scary thought. So, you know, as, as we kept looking at it, we thought, you know, we're gonna apply for some funding um, and I'll get into that in the future slides, but, but that's kind of what spurred us into this and said, you know, we, again, we saw those limitations, we knew our membership needed it and that's really where we started. Um, 
you know, I think the other advantage from an electric co-op standpoint is that, you know, we have existing infrastructure and we understand utility delivery. And that's that's how we treat this this business. It's, um, you know, by building on our poles, again, when you're at two and a half meters per mile, there's no economical way of doing it, but you can sure do it a lot cheaper on our existing infrastructure than people could if they were trying to put this underground or do other methods of, of construction. So that is a, a, an advantage. You know, we've we've maintained those poles and wires. You know, we've done this for 80 years and and look to do it for another 80 or plus. So it's um, it's just another service that we're able to bring out. And you know, and we've seen this analogy brought about, but it's you know just like the that the rural areas were lit up in the 30s and 40s with electricity and and doing that same thing and using that existing infrastructure to do it as as the most economically really that it can be done. So the more co-ops that get into this and electric providers, I think the better that we can get fiber out there on that existing infrastructure. And you know, then kind of the last two things I'll I'll take in tandem, but you know, it's really what we're here for. You know, I mean, we're here to advance the rural way of life and improve the rural way of life for our membership. And and frankly, nobody else was willing to do it. Um, if we would have relied on that existing ILEC, that that big incumbent provider to do this uh, service, we'd still be setting it at one meg services today, you know, out there in these rural markets. So Again, if, if somebody else would have been here doing it, we weren't necessarily looking to do it. We were doing it because our members said they needed it. And that's really what spurred us, you know, to, to look at this. And even though we didn't really, you know, I'll be honest, when we got into to fiber, I thought, you know, man, if we could ever get to 5,000 homes passed, that's going to be great. You know, it's uh, so it's it's changed a lot. So over the last few years, and that demand has really just driven that. So so kind of a depiction over to the right here, of kind of our service area, but roughly, just so you can kind of see that the, the north part of that is the Iowa border and the south part is Kansas City, just to keep it easy. Um, and we serve a lot of areas within that and a number of communities. So again, we started off with, uh, we, as Gary mentioned, we turned up our first customers in, in 2013 and that was all on our existing electric infrastructure in our rural markets. And we started our first community builds in 2016. So really this has been fairly recent and, and the success that we've seen and the demand really, which has driven that is, has really been um, amazing of what we've seen over the last few years. And as Gary mentioned, we're approaching 25,000 uh, combined residential and commercial subscribers, uh, 3,200 miles of fiber that we've built since 2011 and, and growing uh, growing fast. And again, I mentioned kind of the the uh, area, a lot of you, if you fly into, if you've flown into the Kansas City Airport, we're, we're just north of that is where we're, where our service kind of ends. And we've really been there's been a huge amount of demand. I mean, that's actually, we're working, partnering with another co-op down there. They didn't want to get into the business, but they they welcomed us to come in. And so we're actually building a combination of underground and then building on their lines as well. And we were, we're attaching just as any other attacher would, but but uh, we are, you know, getting the benefit of, of the growth and things that are happening in that North Kansas City area, which helps offset our lower uh, density that we have up in the Northern part of our market. So again, we've opened uh, kind of a thing we'll talk about a little bit more, but the personal presence, I mean, the local um, the local aspect of what we do, um, having that same member mentality in everything we do, whether that's on the electric side or on the fiber side is I think a key to our success. And we've opened additional offices. We've always had our electric offices in Maryville and Savannah, which are our headquarters. Um, and then we've also office, opened offices in Excelsior Springs, Cameron, uh, Smithville, uh, which is again down near Kansas City. And then, um, soon to be St. Joseph. We've, we've purchased a building in St. Joseph and that's going to be our next uh, big build. St. Joseph's a town of about about 80,000, uh, over 30,000 passing. So obviously that's that's a that's a big 
bite for us to take, something we really haven't been, based on our size and scope, would have, would have been difficult early on, but that's something that we're in the process right now of doing is building St. Joe, which is the largest um, largest community in our market. And again, as we mentioned, the 54 full-time employees as of today, who knows, tomorrow that's number's probably growing. We've said, I'm gonna have to get a, a kind of a notepad and pictures so I can remember how many, I know everybody when I see them in the hall because this growth has been pretty staggering over the last, you know, you know, we've all talked about what COVID's done to to the growth and, and we've not seen that really decline since. So we're just adding people, which is again, for towns the size of Maryville, Savannah, uh, these are the Savannah is about 5,000 people. Maryville is about 12,000, but uh, we've become a, actually a fairly large employer in the area and bringing good-paying jobs to the region, along with all the other side benefits, along with other, the main benefits of what the fiber network is bringing to the to the area. So, so just to give you a base of what we do, we're all fiber, fiber to the home, uh, fiber to the business, and we offer up to gigabit service. As you see here, 200 meg, 500 meg, and gigabit services soon to offer um, services over um, in the two to five gig range. We're, we're putting those packages together right now as we as we get our network upgraded to handle that. So again, the capacity that, that the fiber brings to the area is, is really the, you know, obviously as we all know, is the real benefit. And, and we also offer voice and video services. So we do have TV services as well. And we've, even though like with voice, for example, I know there's not a lot, we don't do a lot on the residential side that that's gone more to cell phones and things like that, but we do a lot of business phone services and a lot of the a lot of the phone services in the area, especially these smaller communities are, are old systems, they're wanting to upgrade, but they don't really know how to do it. And they need help with, you know, getting a new PBX or, or with getting maintaining their phones. So that's really been a, a another, I think, big benefit that we brought to the area. And it's, you know, on both ways, it's been a good business for us. And it's also, um, you know, provided help for a lot of the small business owners in these smaller communities to upgrade their services to, you know, what what they would expect to, in today's market. So I mentioned funding, and that funding is really what got us into that. Back in 2010, as part of that uh, as part of that uh, survey that we did of our membership, we applied through the ARA, uh, American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, and not really thinking we would get it, but we applied for a portion of our area that, again, the, uh, about 14 of our substation areas. And we were fortunately awarded about 21 million at that time, a combination of a grant loan to build those markets. And again, that was about just under 5,000 passing. So, you know, as we look, as we got into this, this was really just a focus on our membership, getting services out there that we needed. And we knew there would be some side benefit as well to our um, to our electric service and connecting our substations. And as we talk about smart grid and all the different pieces that happen there, but, but really this was about serving our membership. And so that's really what got us started. Um, and so again, uh, we started construction in 2011, uh, part of the RUS build. And by the time we, we met all that criteria, we really started releasing in, like I said, early 2013 for membership. Fast forward, um, as we've gotten into both CAF2 and RDOF funding, uh, we've been fortunate enough to, to gain money in those high cost areas as well. In 2019, again, about another 20 million through CAF2 and um, in 2021, uh, we and just received our final our final notification of award, but um, a little over seven and a half million to get to really some of our highest cost membership areas, which was, we really felt good about this because this is, uh, we have a couple of counties where that home density drops down to about one. And uh, this is helping us, um, you know, offset the cost to get to those places. So. This is really what has spurred us into it. And then, uh, but so I, I feel like with 
when you have as low a density as we have, and and we were very challenged. I'll, I'll be honest, we were very challenged on the electric side. Um, it's that's not a good uh, economic outlook to have you know that many miles of line with only that many members and the costs that go up with trucks and and copper and all the different costs that are going up. We were we were one of the highest um, uh, rate wise. We're the highest in the state of Missouri from a co-op standpoint at the time when we started into this. And I'll talk later about all the benefits that have made, you know, that have come about because of what Fiber's done for our business overall as well internally. So again, we talked about where we serve. This the success that United's had is that two-prong approach because of our low density has been the funding. The really the drivers of our success have been the funding and to me the community builds. Our board, we've been in a, in, in subsidiary businesses for a long time since I started in '94. So they're used to competitive environments. Uh, I know this is new for some electric co-ops because they're just used to providing electricity. Uh, but this is something that our board had had kind of a, you know, an introduction to, and we've been fairly successful in some of the other businesses, but nothing to the scale of what Fiber's done. And so, you know, we built our first. Uh, you see up in the upper right, Cameron, Missouri, which was is a town of about 9,000, but uh, they were Muni, Muni owned. So they we worked with them and and got access to their poles and and uh, has been a wildly successful uh, location. That was the first community built. We built along with a small community called King City, Missouri at the time, because we wanted to build one of each, a small community and a larger community, just to kind of see what would happen and what our take rates would be. And we have now gotten to almost right at 70% penetration in Cameron, which was a competitive cable market. So um, it's been, again, wildly successful, gave our board the peace of mind you know, to say, hey, yeah, keep going. This is this is great. We're, we took a regional approach. Again, the, we do not serve any of these communities. We serve really no communities in our area. We're, we serve all the rural markets with electricity. So this was a kind of a leap of faith of us and our board that, you know, that did this. And it's, again, that's what's really driven our success. Again, now over 40 communities that we've built and many of these, you know, did not have access. They were on, again, this large ILEC provider that, uh, you know, they, they just didn't have service. And and I think of where we've been the last two years, where where we what would have happened in those communities from an education and working from home standpoint if if we hadn't had the the good fortune of you know getting these communities built and bringing that benefit. So again, a couple of large employers. I, I show Mosaic. Mosaic is the regional um, healthcare provider in the area, and, and again, early on they ask us to connect a lot of their buildings in St. Joe, which is that larger resident residential build that we're talking about doing. But we did go ahead and connect their buildings early on which we felt would be great because it would help connect a lot of our uh, rural clinics, uh, nursing homes, other things that we could connect them right to the primary healthcare provider in the area. So early on that that network got put in place. I, I show Kawasaki down at the bottom. Again, we're up to almost 2000 commercial uh, customers and, and growing quickly there. Um, but Kawasaki was uh, one of the first ones we brought on. They're the major employer in Maryville. And, and I'll talk a little bit more later about you know what their situation was like before fiber and what it was like after fiber. So again, just to kind of a, a look at these communities, most of these communities, I, we always talk about our sweet spot of communities has really been in that we started off in that, other than Cameron, which was a muni and, and helped us with our cost to build. A lot of these communities are in the 500 to 2,500 range. So again, smaller communities, most did not have any active cable service and were just relying on very poor DSL, you know, to, to get by. And you know, as a rural electric provider, we've seen the challenges of pe keeping people in rural America. And if you lose your community, if you lose your school, um, it, it becomes a lot harder. And as we all know, when people are looking for a place to live now, that's one of the first things they look at is, you know, do I have access to broadband? And not only that, if I have access to fiber, that's a whole different story, right? So, so we've really, I think, changed, I think, 
really forever the, the economic outlook of this area. And, and it's hard to know where we would have been, but we know at least now that we've taken down those barriers and people are willing, are, are able to live, you know, many places in Northwest Missouri and have access to gigabit plus broadband that they would, you know, that would equal anywhere in any of the uh, uh, larger communities in, in the state of Missouri. So again, the the revenue and average density that these community builds have really helped us continue to push out in our rural markets, get all of our members connected, which we're hoping to have done by the end of this next year. And uh, and that's really wouldn't be possible if we hadn't done those things. So even the funding that we receive federally, that you know, $20 million sounds like a lot, but but we spend that pretty quickly with when we're building the, the number of miles we're building. So it's really helped us offset um, offset those costs. Again, I talked about the, the a lot of the early communities were smaller and now we've built all the larger communities. Like I said, St. Joe is kind of that last big market that, like I said, I would have never envisioned, you know, eight years ago when we started this, that, that would be a, a possibility. And now now here we are building that and, and getting huge take rates um, in the in the communities that we've built so far. Um, again, unlimited bandwidth, the value that we bring to these communities um, and, you know, the the ability for people as we've all seen from COVID to educate from home, work from home, it's just been, um, we definitely heard it. We're not everywhere. So we definitely heard from the people that, you know, did not have access to it, but I can't imagine what would have happened uh, in our in our local communities with our schools and things if we wouldn't have, you know, started this back when we did. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, I kind of mentioned those success stories and, and we talked about Mosaic and, have you know, having the ability to connect a lot of our local healthcare facilities. Uh, I mentioned Kawasaki, so I'm gonna talk about them. That was one of the first commercial businesses we brought on. And like I said, that's the largest employer in Maryville. They employ over a thousand people. Um, they're um, a, a huge manufacturing facility there. And uh, when when we started this and when we connected them, I think we started doing that in, uh, that was 2014. They had six bonded T1s that they were using for their whole um, internal system. and. And when they had to, when they downloaded engineering files from their other plants uh, there, they had to get everybody else off the internet, uh, off the system, download their engineering files, and then start over. So, so you think of a of a manufacturing facility of that size that's measuring, you know, productivity in minutes. That's, um, you know, we never did the math on the economic impact, but but the fact of them, we now have dual feeds going into the building from different substations, and and like I said, we've they've been a, a big customer, a big success story for what we've done. And like I said, it, it really added early on, especially to their efficiency, you know, really running their business and making sure that they could maintain. Because if if that's a business that decided to get out of, of Maryville because they couldn't get the type of broadband service they needed, that would have a huge economic impact and and, and a big blow to the to the community. Um, another one we had was a, an ambulance district that was there in town, the, the county ambulance district. And when they first started, when we first started with them, they were doing their backup files nightly and it was taking them over 20 hours they you know to do these sometimes these backup files and so you know the first the first time after they hooked up the fiber the the uh, guy that ran the ambulance barn called me and said hey it took us 12 minutes last night to to get our backups done so you know it's just just those those things that we've seen on the commercial side that we've been able to you know provide the opportunity for those folks to have you know really world-class you know, business services. I, I mean, whether we're talking video, voice, or data, and then on the residential side, you know, just a couple of stories that, that, that stuck in my mind is we had a gal that was an early, really big supporter early on. She's an electric member, lives south of Savannah, but she was driving 75 miles one way to Kansas City every day to go to work because she didn't have 
good enough internet service to connect through a VPN to work. Um, as soon as she got fiber, she said, she said, I don't even want to go to the office now because my, my broadband is so much better at home than it is even when I go to the office. So, you know, when you hear that, and this was back in like 2015, you know, so this was a, a early on and she's been a huge proponent, you know, for, for us the whole time and, you know, countless stories, but um, I think of another one offhand that, uh, one of our members over in the Stanbury, Missouri area, small community, and they actually live outside of town and they've developed like a pretty successful travel agency that they run out of their home. And again, those just those opportunities that that couldn't happen. You think of real estate, you know, healthcare, whatever it is people are doing. And, and we get every day, literally we have we have over 50 people hit our website every day, uh, some in our area, but many out say, hey, I, I have to have this. I, I work for this insurance company. Or I work for this healthcare provider. I have to have this to 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 work and 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 you know live in my home so um we've never seen you know we it when we first started it was a bit more of a um of a want right and and from and we saw it progressing early on but but especially over the last two to three years it's become a need and, and literally people um in our office crying because they that's how bad they want the service for either them or their kids or whatever it may be it's 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 amazing and like i said that that demand does not seem to be letting up. In fact, we had our, our largest month last month. Um, we typically do about five to 700 act, new activations a month. And uh, last year it was all, or last month it was almost a thousand. We did 950 installs and, and that's a stretch on our, uh, on our installers and our internal teams, but, uh, but they love what they do. You know, um, that was one of the other things I kind of wanted to mention about, I, I said that early on, but as far as like what, what the culture is like, I mean, we, our, our people are local, you know, they're, they're helping their friends and neighbors. You, you know, you have to be prepared when you're wearing your logo shirt to Walmart or wherever you go, you better be prepared to talk for a while because people are going to talk to you. And it's a, and, but, but our employees love it because it's like, you know, it's, it's busy and it's hard, but it's really reinvigorated the whole, the whole culture of our business. And like I said, we've grown to under 50 employees now to over 120 employees as a, as a full organization. So it's just had a, a huge impact on our, on our business on the communities and like I said, I think the overall success of the region. So so Gary, with that, I'll, I'll stop talking for a little bit and maybe there's some questions that have come in. Yeah, uh, Darren, first of all, congratulations. And just, I love hearing these stories of, you know, I mean, I love why you're doing this because no one else will. And that's kind of what I hear with a lot of electric co-ops. And, you know, I don't know why every electric co-op is not in the broadband business because, um, you know, it's just amazing of what, you guys are doing for your community. Uh, so I did have some, a lot of questions here. Um, I'll start off with an easy one. Um, someone, someone was just trying to understand your terminology. You said you had 7,500 members and 10,000 meters, and then also your customer density of 2.5 meters per mile. Can you kind of just net that sure. out? Yeah, so so our members are our owners in the electric co-op. All of the membership are owners, and we're made up of a board of directors that manages the co-op that is a, a part of that membership. But so the members are the owners, and then they have meters, which may, but like I said, some have multiple meters, especially when we're in a highly you know highly agricultural type area. So they might have a, another meter for a pump or a barn or whatever it may be. So a lot of a lot of our memberships have multiple meters out there. So we have more meters than members, obviously. But when we look at meters that's where we have two and a half per mile on average. So for every mile of electric line that we have, there's about two and a half meters per mile. And that's that's very low density. Um, again, not something you'd ever think about building fiber to the home on, you know, without additional funding or additional revenue to get there because it is, it's hard to do if you're less than six to eight per mile. Yeah, so just along that, there was questions about the technology. So are you using 
um, active Ethernet or are you going with um, Pawn or what? What's we're Pawn. Uh, we're a Calix shop uh, and we are we're all Pawn. We do a little bit of Active E for some of the businesses, but by yeah. far and away the most is is all Pawn. So and and G Pawn right now and moving to XGS Pawns. Yeah, great. I mean, we've seen a lot of 10 gig XGS Pawn. Mm -hmm. uh, what about uh, attaching fiber to existing poles? Um, the questions on permitting. Are you able to do that, with, or do you have to get? more permanent we, uh, yeah so on our own infrastructure we were we were able to do that and most of our most of our infrastructure we were fortunate is in public right-of-way but that's always been a, an issue with some co-ops getting into it depending on your mix of public and private right-of-way and your easements and things like that but that's always been a, a very relatively easy process for us now obviously when we connect to i talked about the adjoining co-op that we are working on we still go through the same permitting processes just like any other vendor any other third party would to attach but uh, but again, it's been a it's been a successful thing, and their their poles were in really good shape and things like that. So you know, it's been it's been very successful and, and still been beneficial to us from a construction cost standpoint. So. And there are questions about um, when you move into ILEC areas, um, are there what kind of competitive response are you seeing? Very little. Um, I, right. I've been I've been shocked honestly that we've we've moved in on some major cable providers. And we're seeing a little bit of competition down around the, or a little bit of a response down around the Kansas City area. But on many of those early uh, areas that we built, I think, again, because we're so rural and these communities are relatively small, you know, they're most under 10,000. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure at some point they're not glad somebody else is serving them. I'm not, you know, I've, I've been, like I said, a little bit amazed that, that we haven't seen more of a response. And even in St. Joe, I think we're getting some response now, but not not drastic and, and to tell you the truth the people are so fed up with the existing provider that it doesn't matter what they say or the offers they run and we still seem to be getting the same type of demand you know no i mean 70 percent penetration rates is awesome um last question and we got still a bunch here but let me um given we're low on time uh we constantly hear from our members that they aren't comfortable with the roi on builds with less than three to four meters per mile how do you make those numbers work well, for us, it was it was a combination of funding and building those other dense markets. Again, we look at it as a whole. So uh, again, these are our members. We're trying to get service out to them. So when we build a community that has 100 plus, you know, passings per mile, um, we look at that as an overall density and and can kind of balance that out. Uh, that but that's really been key. And the commercial services have been really great too. I mean, obviously those are a a, a high revenue, you know, typically a higher revenue service. And that's really benefited us as well um, to, to help offset the cost in these really rural markets. The, I'll agree, if, you, if all you're doing is building uh, fiber at three to four homes per mile, that's a tough, tough venture, you see. So like, like I said, funding and, and, and community builds are really the key for us. Well, Darren, just thank you so much. We, you know, we greatly appreciate what you and United Fiber are doing for rural Missouri. And thanks for sharing your success and your insights and expertise with our audience today. Um, and thanks everyone for joining us today. And I look forward to getting back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing the work from home and collaboration megatrends are fueling the fiber diet with Ron Westfall, the research director and senior analyst at Puritarium Research. So you're not going to want to miss that. We will see everybody next Wednesday. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Darren. Thank you.